That was pretty good, Gidon. Thank you. <laughs> So here's what happened. I met Gidon Lev, and nothing was ever the same again. Hi, this is Julie Gray. These are the true adventures of Gidon Lev. Let's start at the beginning. On the face of it, The True Adventures of Gidon Lev is the story of an elderly Holocaust survivor, a man who made it through horrifying events and lived to tell the tale. But Gidon did more than survive. He thrived. Gidon's is the story of a little boy who never truly grew up, with a desperate need to belong and to build a family for himself. His story spans the beginnings of a fledgling country, a first marriage gone seriously wrong, a second marriage that lasted for over 40 years, and a late-in-life relationship with a writer and editor, 30 years his junior, with whom his adventures continued apace. I moved from Los Angeles to Israel in 2012 on the heels of great grief and loss. Everybody thought I was crazy, but the heartfelt memoir I would write about my experiences would prove everybody wrong and heal all of my wounds. This was going to be my A Year in Provence, my Under the Tuscan Sun, my Eat, Pray, Love. I just had to wait for it to all make sense, but it didn't exactly happen that way. It turns out that you can't really outrun grief and that regaining a sense of purpose can take time. In my case, a lot of time, and a very special person named Gidon Lev. When I was a kid, I saw a miniseries about the Holocaust on television. Starring Meryl Streep and James Woods, among others, the series aired in four parts. I was shaken to my core. Ovens? Gas chambers? Later in life, I learned much more about the Holocaust through films, books, and museum exhibits. By then, I had converted to Judaism. But the Holocaust, the lowest moment in human history, the absolute nadir of humankind, wasn't a part of my family history nor of anyone's that I knew, even tangentially. When I came to Israel, I was aware that many Holocaust survivors lived here. Israelis are accustomed to their presence in the social fabric. Every year on Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Remembrance Day, sirens blare out all over the whole country in every city, village, and town. Cars pull over to the side of the road and freeways come to a standstill. The whole country simply stops and stands, heads bowed, for what seems like forever, but is really only two minutes. My first encounter with this annual ritual of mourning left me with a deep sense of sadness and respect for the millions of victims of the Holocaust and the way that Israel as a nation chooses to mark the day each year. 
I didn't know it at the time, but only two months before I arrived in Israel in 2012, Gidon Lev lost his wife of over 41 years. Susan's death was a terrible blow for Gidon and the whole family. It was that great sorrow and a need to keep busy that allowed him the time and space to reflect for the first time in a long time through writing down the story of his life. It was through this writing that my life and Gidon's overlapped. Gidon's life can be, in some ways, expressed through numbers, symbols, and dates. He was born in 1935, an only child. He was put on Transport M as number 885 and imprisoned in the Terezin or Terezinstadt Nazi concentration camp from the ages of 6 to 10. He is one of 92 children estimated to have survived the camp. His father was sent to Auschwitz, where he was tattooed as prisoner B12156. Gidon lost 26 family members in the Holocaust. He was liberated in 1945 and came to Israel in 1959. He was a soldier in the Six-Day War responsible for an FN 5.56 caliber Belgian automatic rifle. He was a husband to two wives, father to six children, and grandfather to 14. Gidon was also a two-time survivor of cancer. As of 2020, he's lived for 85 years. There are an estimated 200,000 Holocaust survivors left in the world today. Gidon is one of a rapidly disappearing generation. There may be fewer living eyewitnesses to the Nazi atrocities of World War II when you finish reading this book than when you began it. We must share their stories, and we must make these stories matter. The research writing and reading that I did while working with Gidon on this book were naturally distressing for me on many levels. We like to believe that the human race has progressed and improved. On the continuum of human history, 75 years ago is but a negligible blip. On the contrary, it saddens me that for many, the Holocaust seems like it happened eons ago on a scratchy black-and-white newsreel. We have become alarmingly removed. History, as Mark Twain may or may not have actually said, doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. The Holocaust has not defined Guidon's life. He's not allowed it to. Yet, he found himself feeling responsible for conveying his experiences at the hands of the Nazis. Even so, he didn't want that terrible experience to be the focal point of his life story. For me, this was sometimes tricky to navigate. I felt responsible as a curator of Guidon's Holocaust testimony, as well as his many other sometimes painful life experiences. I did not want to cause him or his family any more pain or grief than they'd already endured. As we worked on this book together, it became clear to me that Guidon's deepest feelings of anger and hurt were reserved for his mother. It took me some time to understand why. He didn't always express his emotions directly or dramatically on any topic, but I decided to err on the side of simply observing Guidon being Guidon in whatever way was natural to him. That seemed and seems the right decision to me. He didn't know me or anyone else any kind of performance— I've seen people almost genuflect before Guidon when they find out he's a Holocaust survivor. He's suddenly a saint, a relic, or both. I think I did that at first, too, before I came to know him and all of his complex, flawed, sometimes hilarious, opinionated humanity. Things began to get pretty dire in the world as Guidon and I worked on the true adventures together. There were fires and hurricanes and political upheavals and migrants drowning in the sea. Then there was a global pandemic. The book became more than the story of one man. It became the tale of two people telling an important story in times that desperately needed perspective and hope. 
there is history in the two adventures, I think it's important to put things into context. And there's also poetry and laughter and singing. The True Adventures of Guidon Lev is about living through dark times and uncertainty and taking chances. It's about reinvention, resiliency, and joy. It's also about one of the most colorful characters you'll ever come across. There is absolutely nobody like Guidon Lev. Guidon Lev did something extraordinarily courageous. He allowed his most deeply held narratives and beliefs to be challenged by viewing his life events with the benefit of time and a different perspective. All of us should be so brave. I hope that Guidon's story allows you the grace and courage to carry on, even when it's hard. You don't get the life you want, Guidon once said. You get the life that you get. A very simple principle is embedded in those words. Gratitude. Guidon Lev needed an editor. He'd written a book, and he was, among other things, a Holocaust survivor. Would I mind meeting him for a cup of coffee? He sounded very sweet on the phone with his slight, unidentifiable accent and impeccable English. I didn't have any experience editing life stories, but it was no skin off my teeth to keep an old man company for half an hour. It'd be a nice thing to do. Plus, didn't I owe a Holocaust survivor at least a little of my time? Guidon made a spectacular arrival with his phone dangling from a cord around his neck and a red clipboard stuffed with papers, notes, and receipts tucked neatly under one arm. I later learned he never goes anywhere without that clipboard. With his merry blue eyes, shock of white hair, and mischievous grin, Guidon Lev did not fit my image of a Holocaust survivor. But then, he was the only one I'd ever met in person. He was energetic and cheerful, a force of nature. This was no lonely old man. This was a gregarious talker and inveterate charmer. Guidon ordered a cup of tea and launched into his story with gusto. I must admit, I was a bit taken aback by how much he shared with me and how quickly. Guidon told me about his experience in the Terezin concentration camp. Then he kept right on talking. He told me that after he was liberated in 1945, he'd been in a socialist Zionist youth group in Canada. I had no idea what he was talking about. Then, in 1959, he'd come to Israel, where he had become a devoted kibbutznik and taught folk dancing. He worked in a dairy. He'd fought in the Israeli army and taken fire from Syrians. He lost his pants crossing the Jordan River, holding his rifle over his head. He'd been stationed at an Israeli enclave on Mount Scopus in Jordanian-controlled East Jerusalem. Then, mostly for the shock factor, I think, he added that two of his children had been kidnapped. Okay, I thought, time's up. This guy's crazy. Uh, how many children do you have? Six. He done wasn't done yet. He told me how he searched for his two children in California, where their mother had taken them. Along the way, he said he'd gone to a nude beach, gotten poison oak, and worked on a farm. Then he made a split-second decision in a California parking lot that changed the direction of many lives forever. He'd also lived in Wales for a time with his second wife. But how many wives did you have? Just two, Guidon grinned. That was enough. This man was something else. I'd heard stories about Holocaust survivors who were lonely, isolated, depressed, or sometimes heroic activists. Guidon was none of these things. He was more like a mischievous Peter Pan. Guidon needed someone well-versed in Israeli history, not to mention Holocaust studies, and he needed someone with a whole lot more patience and time than I had. I wasn't qualified to take on such a project, I explained as nicely as I could, and reassured him that, with no doubt, there were any number of editors who would be a perfect fit. Just not me. 
But I was troubled. Gidon's story was important. I knew that. How could I walk away from a Holocaust survivor, an eyewitness to atrocity? Surely he would find a qualified editor out there somewhere, I told myself. But Gidon was so friendly and outgoing. I thought it might be nice to be and to have a new friend. After all, if I was honest with myself, I was lonely. So I called Gidon up a couple of days later and asked if he wanted to meet for coffee again, just to visit with each other, not to discuss his book, which I clearly could not, I emphasized, help him with. Sure, I just need to shave and put some shoes on, he said. Oh, now? I hadn't planned on that. Half an hour later, we sat across from each other at another cafe in the suburb of Tel Aviv, where we both happened to live. I remember that. I had strudel, but I also love their cheesecake. You do love their cheesecake, don't you? Yes, I do. And you walked all the way from me. I did. <laughs> it wasn't that far. It was a couple kilometers between my house and your house at that time. But it was hot. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's pretty far. Did you I give me a ride home that day? I don't remember. Maybe I you're... don't remember either, but we could do that. Ha <laughs> ha, Gidon. During our second visit, Gidon told me about his adventures working on dairies on various farms in Israel and how he tested the milk for quality and what type of cow was the best for milk and how often the cows needed to be milked. He told me about his six children, where they lived, and what they did. He wanted to know about me, too. Why was I living in Israel? How long had I lived here? How was my Hebrew? Did I want to go to his nearby home and see some of his artwork, family pictures, and books? Gidon Lev, this father, son, grandfather, dairyman, husband, builder, dancer, doer, and evidently mischief maker, was something else. I was quite taken by my new friend. He was a character, to say the least, and a welcome new presence in my life. We began to meet regularly for coffee and the strudel that he so loved. Soon, our coffee dates began to include going to the movies and shopping for groceries together. Cheerfully, Gidon started to show up and make repairs and improvements in my apartment. We went camping and traveling. We swam in the Mediterranean and subsequently nursed our jellyfish things. We shopped, cooked, and ran errands together. Before long, we spent almost every day together. In Israel, there is a saying, for every lid there is a pot. There is somebody for everybody, in other words. Though it was a book project that I was not, and I repeat not, going to work on that initially brought Gidon and me together— it didn't take long for us to realize that we made great life partners, or loving life buddies, as I came to call us. If there's one trait that stood out the most about Gidon, it was his persistence. He was dead set on his book. It was a subject that he brought up at every opportunity. In Gidon's office, there was an avalanche of mysteriously labeled, jumbled computer files of his writing, which he'd paid a young man to upload to his computer for him. He'd printed it out in batches held together by paper clips. A blizzard of sticky notes covered the mass. There was the yellow star he'd had to pin on his jacket that read in large, ugly letters, Yuda. I had a physical reaction to it. I'd never seen such a thing if it wasn't in a film or behind a glass case. Gidon showed me his transport papers and those of his mother. Gidon was on Transport M, and he was number 885. I had never seen such a thing either. It was sinister, written so neatly, with such detail. Along with his recollections of his time in the Terezin concentration camp, Gidon had written thousands of words and hundreds of painstakingly detailed pages about the regular stuff we all do in our lives. Camping trips, birthday parties, changing jobs and moving house. 
I tried to tell Guidon that these kinds of details wouldn't interest people outside of his family. He did not agree, and I could not persuade him. I wish we could have included more about our trip across the United States. That was such a fantastic experience. Oh, that with, when you took your kids off? Yes, all four kids, with a little one being a year old. That was crazy. I, I enjoyed reading all about that, but it was hard to, to fit everything into the book. We had to make a lot of hard choices, huh? Yes, <laughs> I'm sorry we had to, but it came out well. Well, maybe for the next book, we'll write a Gidon Camps Across America book. (laughs) (laughs) That could be done. Maybe I thought in my spare time, I could simply help Gidon get organized, proofread what he'd written, and get the whole thing printed at a local copy shop. We'd put his photo on the cover, and Gidon would be happy. But Gidon wasn't crazy about that idea. Somehow, instinctively, he knew there was much more to his story than his personal experiences— He realized that his memories were not, in themselves, a narrative. The historical and cultural background of his life had been complicated. He needed someone to join him in this project. That person, he insisted, should be me. I didn't choose this project. It and Guidon chose me. That seemed to me a kind of cosmic beckoning, an invitation that I would be foolish to ignore. I was in. If there were aspects of history or Israeli culture that I didn't know or understand, I would learn. I made an appeal on a Facebook group for writers and journalists. I thought that perhaps by crowdsourcing the early organizational stages of this project, I could give this sprawling project some kind of shape. I was amazed by the number of responses I received. Dozens of people volunteered their help, advice, and encouragement. Some offered to go over the original writing and organize it by subject. Others offered to type handwritten pages. With the help of dozens of generous volunteers, a mountain of files and papers had been corralled. A significant step forward had been taken. I found a helpful tool, a roll of whiteboard paper that was sticky on one side. I unspooled it in the hallway so Guidon could match dates with events. Gradually, I noticed something beginning to emerge on that whiteboard, something in between the lines. Guidon hadn't ever really looked back at his most traumatic experiences on an emotional level. He was in a Nazi concentration camp at an age when he wasn't able to contextualize it in any way. Then he immigrated to America, where he didn't have the language to speak about it. Afterward, and for decades, nobody really talked about their Holocaust experiences at all. The post-war world was busy rebuilding and leaving the past behind. There were many other hurts, experiences, and traumas that Guidon had gone through as well. He'd had a painful relationship with his mother, who was by all accounts a very difficult person. A dramatic, tragic breakup with his first wife. Two painful, life-threatening bouts of cancer. And then, to top it all off, the love of his life, the weave and the weft of his emotional well-being, Susan passed away long before her time. Finally, the penny dropped for me. Guidon had reached the stage in his life when he needed to look back and he wanted to be heard. And importantly, he'd found a safe, supportive, and loving companion to do that alongside him. Finally, after months of transcribing, typing, retyping, and organizing, we simply started at the beginning. I was born in Karlsbad, Karlsbad, in Czechoslovakia. 
in 1935. Originally, my name was not Gidon. I was born Peter Wolfgang Lev. Peter, not a Jewish name. Wolfgang, because my grandfather played the viola, I guess he liked Mozart, so he gave me the middle name. Lev was my family name. The truth is, my grandfather owned a Stradivarius viola. When the war came, he gave it to someone for safekeeping. I still have the receipt. But my grandfather died in the Warsaw ghetto, and the viola was never to be seen again. Taking a bird's-eye historical view, I decided, was not just important, but critical in understanding the times during which Gidon lived. Adolf Hitler was elected the Führer of Germany in August 1934, about six months before he was born. When Gidon was just six months old, the Nuremberg race laws stripped German Jews of their rights, and an inexorable horror ground into motion. In 1938, when Petrol, as his mother called him, was just three, Germany annexed the Sudetenland in the Munich Agreement. That was where Guidon's family lived, a part of Czechoslovakia that is east of Germany. After Hitler's annexation, the Jewish population in the Sudeten fled eastward to Prague. Guidon's family packed up, too. Guidon's stern, diminutive mother, Doris, had been trained as a milliner, and his father, Ernst, owned a scrap iron lot. Everything was left behind. I remember happy times and being with my mother, father, grandparents, celebrating my third birthday. The highlight was a beautiful red tricycle with black rubber handlebars. I was so overjoyed that I rode it until I collapsed in bed each night. However, slowly, things began to change and I couldn't make sense of it. After all, I was only three years old. I didn't know about Hitler, Germany, or even what or who Jews were. When we fled to Prague, I had to leave my tricycle behind. And that broke my heart. The family crowded into a small flat in Prague. Gidon, his mother and father, and his paternal grandparents, frightened and unsure about what would happen next, for three years, they lived in fear and dread, along with thousands of others who had fled Hitler's murderous regime, hoping they'd be safe. Arriving in Prague in 1938 was a tremendous relief for my parents, at least at first. We rented an apartment not far from the center of the city. There, we waited for our household furniture and belongings to arrive. But they never did. I learned later that the mover we hired took everything. Three years later, in 1941, Gijan was transported with his mother and grandfather to the Terezin, or Theresienstadt, concentration camp, just over 30 miles north of Prague. His father had been sent on a transport to the same camp two weeks earlier. Peter, Gijan, spent four years in the camp. In fact, of the estimated 15,000 children who were imprisoned in or transported through Terezin, only 92 are known to have survived. Guidon is one of those children. Although Guidon and his mother survived, his father, great-grandmother, three grandparents, aunts, great-aunts, uncles, great-uncles, and cousins all perished in Auschwitz, Buchenwald, 
Treblinka, Medanek, and in the Izbika and Warsaw ghettos. What had been a large family spread across Czechoslovakia and Austria was reduced to two family members, Gidon and his mother, Doris. But we had to go to Prague before you could really understand the rest, Gidon added. Yes, yes, next chapter, hold your horses, I said. That hasn't happened yet. The book was in its early stages, and Gidon wanted to hear and comment on every word and page. That seemed fair enough to me. It was his life story, after all. But we'd have to try to come up with a routine. Let's make a deal, I said. Once a week, I'll either read the new pages to you or print them out, and you can read them. If there's something you want to change or add, just tell me. Every day. Every week. I had by then learned that Gidon tended to be stubborn, but he was also right an annoying majority of the time, which meant I took him seriously. But I had to have some latitude, or the book Gidon wanted so badly would never get written. Finally, we agreed that we would go over every chapter together, weekly, and that Gidon's notes and comments would focus on those matters of great importance, not just facts, dates, and the like, but his feelings. This would come to be a routine that we both enjoyed, but I was surprised over and over by the things that caught Gidon's attention for comment or correction, and those that did not. His comments, or lack of them, offered a valuable insight not just into Gidon, but into the nature of memory itself. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe and follow for more. You can learn more about Gidon Lev at www.thetrueadventures.com. And be sure to follow The True Adventures on TikTok. Special thanks to our sound designers, Andrew Macht and Victoria Sampson. The music was composed by Nigel Groom and Adi Goldstein. Eliran Ran Toda Rabah for being the voice of younger Gidon. <laughs>